this is the Fearless Fathers Podcast, a podcast for you, the fathers who suffer in silence every single day. Come with us as we hit those main topics that are just burning through your soul. It's going to get uncomfortable, it's going to be fun, and together we will become fearless. Hello again and welcome all our fearless family to another interview here today on the Fearless Fathers Podcast. As always, I am your host, Davo. And alongside me, I have a father of six, 41-year-old uh, Navy veteran who's willing to share his story, married for 13 years, went through uh, custody battles with his ex-wife, a father of six, of six kids. So we got a lot of experience on the microphone here today for you guys out there. I want to welcome Marcus Silva on the mic. Marcus, say what's up to our fearless family and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I was pretty excited Absolutely. when I got the invite. So a little bit more about me. Um, well, you you covered it most of it. I uh, the time of the Navy was spent overseas, uh, so I got the chance to uh, live in Italy and Greece. And uh, a lot of my younger, you know, how I viewed stuff, it was based around my time in Italy. So um, that was pretty cool. Now I'm a uh, sales executive for a small regional uh, internet sales or uh, internet provider. So I'm your I'm your sales guy, father of six. Um, always busy. So that's about it. Very nice. Very nice. So Marcus is going to bring a lot of great, a lot of great stuff to this interview today to kick it off as always, just to ease attention, just to kick it off. Marcus, what is one thing, uh, one funny thing or one of the best things that either one of your kids did or all your kids did recently? <laughs> so, you know, before we got started here, obviously, you know, you give me a heads up on some of the questions we're going to talk about, so I'm not blindsided. And uh, to, believe it or not, this was the hardest one that I had to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just you know, my oldest is 13, my youngest is a is a, a little over a year. I'm pretty jaded as far as the funny stuff goes. <laughs> like, it's just another day when the kid's hanging upside down with his mother <laughs> with his finger up his nose or whatever it might be. So um, I, I, I regret to inform you that I do not have an individual story uh, of, a, of late that I could think of. Uh, it's just uh, day in and day out. There's, there's always something, uh, something funny that they do. I, I, I guess right now I have a, um, my son, my one and a half year old just this morning, uh, was learning to ride one of those little uh, push scooters with his feet and yeah. just sitting there watching him like go and run into the wall and topple over. <laughs> and it was just humorous to just sit there and uh, and watch it. It was simple, but yet, I don't know. Uh, yeah, not, nothing real good. I could go back through my timeline and, and pull out some stuff, but. <laughs> I hear you on that, man. I mean, having, you know, just five kids, six kids alone. I mean, and like you said, they're all, they're all different ages. I mean, my, between my wife's family, she has, we're like 13 nieces and nephews. So when that house gets busy, I know exactly where you're coming from with that. So, but yeah, I, I love, Every day's different. I, I, I love, I love watching the newer, the newer, younger kids just learning. Like you said, like that simple scooter stuff falling over, you're kind of giggling a little bit like that, that to me right there is, is always the good stuff. So I like that. I like that a lot. As we said in the beginning, Marcus second married with his current wife now for 13 plus years went through a custody battle his old with his um ex-wife oldest daughter so with that can you take us through a bit of the experiences about going through the custody battle with your oldest daughter and how it affected you mentally as a father 
So I think the last part there was key, uh, and um, this will probably be a reoccurring thing from time to time, uh, how it affected me mentally. Uh, I didn't really know how it did until much later, um, mm. but I would say, and I'll preface this with, it wasn't one of those as seen on TV, drawn out, lots of lawyers involved, uh, you know, fighting over who gets the, the Escalade or whatever. It was a very basic, you know, uh, it was a very basic divorce. We didn't have a lot of assets uh, at right. all. Um, but And we actually came to an agreement for custody when we decided to, to separate. It wasn't until a little bit later that I decided on my end that that wasn't really the best. And that was the biggest takeaway. Um, uh, it wasn't the best choice for me to, to, to agree to that custody plan. But as far as mentally, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it was just absolutely taxing. To me, to my body, to my you know psyche, it was just uh, it was a tough, it, and it's still a tough time. Uh, I mean, I still deal with it, not to the extent and to the severity that I did before, but every day is is something. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a really you know mentally, it was just a really really hard time because uh, there's just so much going going on at one time. You know, not only is are you are you asking for possession of a child, right? If you think about right. it, she's she's it's my time, it's your time. All that phrasing that is just hard to hard to deal with when you're you know when you had a kid, you're used to, you. It's all about us, but then when you have to kind of put it that way, that's hard to deal with. There's the the monetary aspect of it is just and I had it easy compared to what most folks do. You know, so you're struggling to try to pay for lawyers every time you call a lawyer. You're checking $95 out of your checking account. Uh, oh yeah. You know, so it, yeah, it was just a really, really tough time. Uh, like I said, the, uh, it was the hardest thing that I've probably dealt with and hopefully uh, ever deal with. Now I want to, I want to dig a little deep on that as far as, you know, what you said there is the fact that you didn't realize exactly what it was until or how it felt for you until after the case, until after everything happened. And like you said, you're even dealing with some of that now. And I feel like that's a lot for a lot of, especially new dads out there who may be going through custody battles and things along those lines. You get so wrapped up in the now that you don't really understand or at least think about what's going on until after the dust settles. And then you have time for that self-reflection and that self-awareness into, okay, well, this is this is how this happened here. The cust- Like you were saying, like you didn't agree with the custody plan. You know, there, there was a lot of moving parts in what probably felt like such a short amount of time, even though it, you know, it, it may have taken a while. For a lot of dads, it's always one of the hardest things because, like you said, the world flips upside down. Like you said, it was easier than what most fathers would usually face. And we see it a lot with dads where they're just getting the shaft. They're just getting screwed left and right. because because of x y and z or because that stigma of well mom's the only one who could take care of the kids so there it goes and it just leads down that path it almost sounds like you were able to at least realize what it was and did you like build yourself up after taking that self-realization saying well i could do things like this maybe different next time or learn some new traits because of that so not a lot has changed and i'm still dealing you know i'm still uh after going to court twice and uh i'm still part of that original custody plan that I agreed to. And the part of the reason I agreed to it in the first place was my experience as a, as a kid, my, my parents got divorced. They were very amicable. Um, they still get along to this day very well. 
And uh, that's just the situation. It was every other weekend, Friday through Sunday. It was a very standard kind of uh, late 90s kind of custody plan. And that's just what everybody did. It worked well for my parents. So I just, without even question, agreed to it. Realized after my child is, you know, my kids getting to be two and three, that that's, it's really, really, really hard to build a relationship every other weekend. If that's all you can do, that's all you have. There was no reason for it not to be 50-50. There was no reason for us not to share custody right down the middle. And uh, it did take a lot of, I don't want to say courage, but it took a lot for me to kind of stand up and say, okay, I made a mistake. That was wrong. Now I got to fight for what I feel is right. And I got a lot, you know, obviously, because I have still not, you know, acquired that, that 50-50 mark. Um, I still haven't won, but I still, oh, you know, okay. I'm still fighting some, so. To any father out there who may be going through their own custody battles now, those especially those new fathers, since it's so new and so fresh, what are what are some things that you would say to them to help help prepare them to going forward with that? Always put yourself, no matter what they've done to you or what you've done to them, right? Because you maybe maybe you were the one that caused the separation, maybe you were the one that caused the the split to happen. Always take a step back and look at it from what your child will think in five years, ten years. And what can you do for your child in five years, 10 years? Is it best, you know, what is best for, for the kid and never, ever, ever try to do anything, you know, ask for anything because of what happened between you and the other parent. So that's, that's easy to say. Uh, It's really hard to do, especially when nasty things have happened between two people and it can go both ways. You could, you know, maybe he or she was the, you know, one that caused it and you just absolutely don't want anything to do with them. Uh, or maybe you did and you feel bad. And so you want to relinquish some some time because you feel bad about what you did or you just don't want, you know, or maybe you're a conflict averse, you know, try to avoid conflict. And that's just the easier route to take. But none of this happens quickly. So you don't have to make a decision quickly. I would say the other thing is document, 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 write everything down, come up with a system. Courts don't care about what you think, uh, what you said. Um, it's all about having it written down and having to be able to talk about actual facts. That was a failure on my part was not having as much documented to where things that happened, I could actually logically and succinctly say this, this, and this happened. And this is why I'm asking for this. I want to take a second and I really want to dig down a little bit into what you said there in the beginning. We talked about it in the divorce miniseries, as a lot of people know who listen to the show, if you've been listening for a while, you know I come from a family of divorce. My whole life, for 15 years, my parents split when I was five. Being a child going through divorce was probably one of the, the toughest thing I ever had to go through. Marcus hit it right on the head with a lot of that. So I want you to take notes on these guys because this is major stuff. Take a step back. Don't let your emotions run with it and be persistent but logical in your approach. You know, Marcus said it. The courts want to hear facts. They don't want to hear, oh, well, she's sleeping around and she's doing this and she's doing that. No. Have it documented showing why X, Y, and Z is happening, even if you were at fault or you weren't at fault or the baby's mother is, you know, poking and prodding at you just to play on your emotions and say all this stuff. Taking that step back as hard as it could be is going to outweigh so much in the long run. And like you said, you want it to be able to reflect for your kid five, 10 years down the road. That compounds throughout the years, and when they get older, they start realizing it more and more. Really playing that cool, calm head 
is going to pay long dividends and writing that stuff down and not being that guy to just post stuff on social media all the time. Because guess what? Once it's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. Control P is a quick thing that a lot of people can do. Now you're just setting yourself up for failure in the long run. Yeah. I didn't even have to deal with <laughs> with social media. You know, it was uh, around, but not a not a big deal. Uh, a trick somebody told me is if you think about a movie and uh, a screenplay, right? So you got these people that write movies, they write it all down on paper. Uh, what the actors do, what they say, the environment, camera views, all that kind of stuff, right? We're all familiar with that process. What they don't ever write down is what the actors are thinking. Nobody cares mm. what you're thinking. Nobody cares what they're thinking. Not that nobody cares. The judge doesn't care. The courts don't care. The courts don't care that when you're doing something, you're thinking about all the nasty stuff that's done. It's just from the view of a camera. You can only see it and you can only hear it. And that's the, those are the facts that you need to write down, what you see and what you hear and actions that happen afterwards. Uh, you don't necessarily know that what you saw and what you heard caused those actions. That's for the court to interpret. Writing it down in that way in third person, just, man, just keeping a log. I don't care how you do it. Just keep post-it notes in your pocket or, you know, whether you go electronic or whatever, do it every day. Every single day you write something down. Even if you write down, nothing happened today. You write it down. Those are the kinds of stuff that, that will help you in the long run. Writing it down and having an outside perspective, a third party perspective of actual what happened, when it happened, why it happened, and the action steps afterwards. I love it. Even if nothing happened, writing down nothing happened, you're building that habit. You're building that muscle memory. You have a paper trail at the end of the day. Still talking to Marcus, dropping a lot of great stuff for you new fathers, you fearless fathers out there that are listening today. Now, Marcus, being a father of six, uh, five with your current wife and your oldest daughter, I come from a family of four, so I understand having a big family can always have its own struggles itself. But especially with relationships, and we talk about relationships and having that relationship with your spouse, whether it's something spontaneous or new, do you always seem to find it difficult to just get time with you and your wife? Yeah. And what are some things that you do to, um, <laughs> to do together? Uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but uh, to, to save some time. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we have outgrown our uh, family's capacity for for date nights. So uh, both of our parents uh, have a hard time with six kids and it's a lot to ask. So yes, we absolutely struggle with that. And we're always working on, as a matter of fact, uh, this last weekend was the first time my wife and I had been out to eat by ourselves in the last, uh, uh, probably March, right when COVID-19 started. It's been a while. So uh, yes, we absolutely struggle with that. And we always try to make it a priority. Man, that is something that we really, really always, we're, we're constantly working on. And I always feel like that's one of those things that you could always constantly work on. You know, I, I, I'm only a father of one, but even still trying to find a date night away with the wife just to even get out and go shopping for a few hours or just having dinner alone. It, it's always something that I always feel a lot of us tend to just forget in the back of our mind. Not like we intentionally forget, but family and life takes over. So priorities tend to seem to shift. I always find it important as well as you said, too, is just trying to take that moment to do something with your significant other keep that relationship moving, keep it fluid, just really, really honing in on why it is you two are a team and why you, why you continue to go the route you're going. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, it's one of those things that because it's not a, it's not required, right. It's not necessary. It's not, uh, you don't have to do it to keep your relationship moving forward, but in, in essence you do. I mean, your, your mm. partner's going to be there long after your kids are gone. 
you have to keep feeding into that relationship. And, you know, some tricks that we've done, I don't, I don't honestly, man, I'm the worst at making it happen. Uh, it is definitely something in, in my wheelhouse that I need to step up in. But uh, my wife is the one that typically makes those arrangements and, and makes it happen. So uh, I'm glad we kind of brought that up a little bit. Maybe I need to put it on my radar more. <laughs> That's something to work on. But uh, somehow, even shopping, uh, you know, I said we went out to we went out to uh, lunch this last week. And honestly, we spent more time at Target together than we did at, at lunch because we had some stuff to get. We were out of town. We were at a new place that we hadn't been to before. And it was nice to just walk around slowly and calmly and things that we used to do that we like to do together that we don't get a chance to do. Now it's like, you know, here's the clamp that's coming in to the store, get ready. We're, we're hauling five kids in. You better put your purses away. It was nice to just have that nice calm hour or so to, to just do what we used to do. Just do whatever you need to do just to go out there, be with your wife, be with your spouse, your significant other, keep nurturing and fostering that relationship because that relationship is going to be there a lot longer, like Marcus said, after your children have left the house and, you know, it's just you two again. So keep building that, keep fostering it, keep nurturing it as you're going on. We're going to dig in a little bit more here. When you're looking at it, we keep talking, you're, you're a father of six, you know, we quote unquote experienced father out there raising so many kids on those days where you just don't feel like you're being the best father. What are some things that you tell yourself or that you do that really really reminds yourself of the job that you're doing as a dad? I think it's kind of like what we talked about before. It's taking a step back. Uh, there is no playbook. I don't care that there's all these books out there that, you know, there's thousands and thousands of parenting books. There is no playbook for you, your situation, your life, uh, whatever you have going on there. There is no crystal ball to know exactly the right thing to do and giving yourself permission to, to make, I make, I make way more mistakes than I do uh, doing it right. So, and just, you know, recognizing those mistakes and trying not to do them again. And if you do them again, recognize it and try not to do it again. But uh, just give yourself permission to not be perfect. There isn't a right answer. And uh, that's hard to do. Sometimes something will happen. Maybe you'll get angry, you'll yell or something. You really feel bad and beat yourself up after it. But you can't look to something and, you know, you're just not going to have, have the right answer all the time. Even though your kids expect you to. Your wife expects you to maybe. I think that is massive is taking a step back. You know, I, I say it all the time. Self-realization is your number one tool. Being able to say, okay, what am I doing? I may have just yelled at my kid. I didn't mean it. Emotions got in the way. We all do it. We're not perfect. But realizing like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I was like my father. I, you know, my father used to yell at me all the time when I did something stupid taking that realizing it saying okay i'm mad enough to screw up if you yelled at your kid and you didn't mean it going in there and say hey i'm really sorry i did that i didn't mean to yell at you but what you did shouldn't have been done and really communicating that after the fact and just really having that comfort to say i'm not perfect because we're not and you said it right there's thousands of parenting books out there in today's world and they say oh if you do this you're gonna be the best father no doing what you do is gonna make you the best father realizing the mistakes that you made and not making those same mistakes again is going to make you the best father. It's building those steps one day at a time. This isn't a race. It's a marathon, guys. So just realizing and being acceptant that you're not going to get everything perfect, I think is massive. I love that. I absolutely love it. I always find the best value out of this question because this is one of those most vulnerable questions where you feel like you need to just really dig deep 
And really self-realization is key to me and understanding that. So Marcus, what would you consider to be like your biggest downfall or what you would classify as your failure as a father? And what are some steps that you took to alleviate that or become better? Not, so this one was pretty, uh, it was pretty easy for me because it was a pretty, it was really profound and I really messed it up for a long time. Uh, Not taking my mental health into consideration sooner. What I mean by that is not, you know, I was, I had mental health issues. You know, I've been diagnosed with anxiety, a few other things here and there that uh, have come up and not talking to somebody other than my spouse about it, not going to my doctor about it. Cause it was a really easy fix. It was silly how easy of a fix it was. Uh, When I went to my doctor and I said, look, I'm having these issues. I I feel like it might be anxiety. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, it's starting to affect my life. And she, you know, I'm not going to promote necessarily, you know, one thing over another, but she prescribed a medication and it has helped a thousand times over. um, And just how my day-to-day stuff at home happens. So my anxiety is manifest in anger. And so uh, if my anxiety is is lower, uh, that anger doesn't come out uh, near as quick, if at all. And uh, I put my family through years and years and years of me not wanting to deal with it. Uh, in the back of my mind, I knew there was something going on. Uh, it wasn't like I was oblivious to it, but uh, it took me a long time to, to get the, the guts and vulnerability to go to my doctor and actually have it put down on paper and get a prescription. And uh, I wish I would have done it 10 years earlier, if not before that. That was a hard thing to do. I'm glad I did it now. Man, that, that was a big mistake. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I want to say something that you said in the beginning there. I feel, and the whole reason why I started this podcast was, I think the biggest stigma, not just men, but fathers, especially new fathers face, is their mental health. I will preach it till the day I drop. Mental health and not combating your mental health is going to be your ultimate downfall. And, and you're absolutely right when you said it's the easiest fix you ever had. I mean, I went through and I know tons of dads out there going through their battles through anxiety, depression, bipolar, whatever the case is. But we as fathers and as men, we don't feel like we could go to somebody or talk to somebody because they're not going to understand or they're not going to be able to relate or they're going to think you're crazy and you're going to go into a padded room because not every father acts that way or says that they're feeling this way. Mental health, to me, it's one of those small things where it just builds and builds and builds the more you just let it sit there. If you start combating it and you start going at it and you start taking it a day at a time, you start seeing it shrink. You start seeing your mood change. You start seeing a world that you thought you could never see before or that you never saw before. Yeah. And the world just starts becoming more and more better. It was like three days after taking, you know, starting the, the very, very low dose medication. I'm walking through the grocery store with uh, probably four kids in tow, which is normally like a trigger point for me. Can't do it. They're, they're starting to act up. I get feeling claustrophobic, all this stuff that starts going on, which then starts coming out and being snappy with my wife and snappy with my kids. And I'm walking through the grocery store with the whole crew. Uh, it's normal. Like I didn't care that, you know, maybe one kid was crying or somebody pulled something off the, sh- you know, that's what kids do. It's not a big deal. And it was really, really eye opening um, how profound of an impact uh, a simple, in this case, medication, maybe for somebody else's exercise, 
maybe for somebody else's meditation, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, what I chose was medication at the time, and it was huge, huge, huge. I mean, I still battle it. I still have issues. I couldn't even imagine where I'd be. I probably wouldn't be married and wouldn't have my my uh, fifth kid and or fourth fourth and fifth kid and be in a much darker place had I not dealt with it when I did. So yeah, it. Uh, I could go just like you said. I could go on and on and on about mental health as well. It's really easy as, as like you said, guys. We just don't want to deal with it because we're we can handle it. We can you know shoulder the uh, hold up the world on our shoulders. Um, and that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we do often. You got to take care of yourself too. And if you don't, it just starts to chip away at you um, until there's not a whole lot left. That's it. Just go out there and talk. You don't have to hold the whole world on your shoulders. It's okay if you need to cry on somebody's shoulder. It's You're not less of a man if you do it. You're absolutely stronger if you do it. And I applaud you for doing it. So I think I already know what the answer to this question is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Give a quick little short blurb. Uh, at what point did you feel like your life changed for the better? Uh, believe it or not, it's not seeking mental health. It was honestly, uh, and it's, it, it's probably all related, but it, it was meeting my wife, deciding to build a life together and deciding to have a large family. It was a conscious decision. It wasn't just a bunch of margarita nights. We chose to have a large family, not for religious background. or It was, we wanted to have a large family. I'd just been legally divorced and smoking too much pot just really not doing much of anything. And uh, she helped me see what, what we could do together uh, and, and what I could be as a father. And so taking that, you know, when you divorced away, you thought, Hey, this is, this is what it's going to be in that universe. And the universe said, Hey man, I got something bigger and better for you. You're just at that point now where you're going to, where you become stronger because of it. And now here, here you are, man. I mean, you're, you're absolutely crushing it. You're crushing it at this whole thing. I fully, fully applaud you for it you know, from where you come from, well, thank from what you, you did. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, we're a brotherhood and we have a voice at the end of the day and you're, you're spewing a great voice out there for a lot of these guys who need this pick me up. So I absolutely, absolutely love it. We have just a couple more questions for Marcus today before we dig a little bit deeper, you know, you're a business owner and all that, and we're going to get into that, but I, I wanted a new question. I wanted to throw this out here. You're my Guinea pig on this. And I think this is going to give a lot of great value. What is the wisest thing that somebody, whoever, has said to you or that you heard? So, yeah, that was uh, – I'm a terrible memory, so I don't remember a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> that's why I write everything down. So, uh, But I do remember this. I was, wasn't legally divorced, but I was separated. I was living at home. And uh, my dad and I have a good relationship. Nothing wrong with it. But it's not real – you know, it's not real deep. We don't have big, long intellectual conversations about, you know, why the right. world turns. But we were sitting out on the porch one night. And I was living, like I said, I was living at home and uh, we were talking about what was going on. And he looked at me and he said, who's the most important person in your life? I said, well, my daughter, of course, you know, this is my oldest. I said, you know, my daughter. He said, no, you know, who really, who's the most important person? And I couldn't come out. Yeah, I said, well, well, her. And if, you know, can't say her, it would be, you know, my family, uh, my mom. He, he kept saying, he kept asking the same question again. And he finally stopped me and he said, no you are you're the most person you got to do what you need to do for yourself and stop trying to take care of everybody else around you making everybody else happy and uh you know i still i still struggle with trying you know not saying no and and trying to do everything for everybody but that has stuck with me it's taking care of yourself because if you can't take care i mean it, it's it's kind of cliche because it's coming out a lot it's said a lot now but yeah. uh taking care of yourself you know putting your own mask on before you put somebody else's on you can hear it in all this other context 
and you can read it and uh, you know this was kind of before all these motivational quotes that you get spewed across your facebook feed every day but that has stuck with me you know i could still smell the cigar he was smoking i could still we were drinking some some fairly decent tequila uh and and that has stuck with me um all these years that right there i mean is absolutely great because you're right and especially we as men we want to burden ourselves with everybody else's problems. We want to be able to solve problems so quickly for everybody else that at the end of the day, we beat ourselves down and we forget who we are and we've become a shell of who we once were or who we were meant to be. And taking that moment, there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And if somebody tells you otherwise, they're wrong. There is nothing wrong for taking care of yourself. Whatever that is, as long as you're not harming anybody or harming yourself, There is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and doing what's right for you and then being able to take care of people. One of my favorite entrepreneurs out there, Dean Graziosi, I've talked about him all the time. He says it and it resonates with me. Do what serves you. If you're not doing something that serves you, why are you doing it? Why are you going to put yourself through that crap to take care of somebody else if it's not going to help you or help your family in the long run? Yeah, it's uh, and it's really hard to do. It's easy to say, like I said, you see it on motivational quotes all the time, but it's really hard to do, um, especially when you're so accustomed to just instantly making the the decision to put somebody else first. It's really hard to put yourself first, and I still struggle with it all the time. Struggle with it more than I I probably do it wrong more than I do it right, but it's really really important. And then everything else falls into place. If you're putting your mental health on top of someone else's, then you can then help them with their mental health once you're, you got your stuff straightened out. Um, if you're putting your, your physical well-being, your exercise and eat right, so much easier to, to help and see what others are going through when you've gone through it yourself. And that's it, guys. Just go out and do it. Marcus has been dropping a ton of great stuff for us today. Hopefully you took some notes. Hopefully you're learning a lot more. Hopefully it's becoming, you're building those blocks to become better, to become fearless, and you're taking what's going to serve you. As I said a little bit there, Marcus owns his own business with his wife. So can you tell us a little bit about your business, what you do, and where our listeners could find you if they're interested? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll correct you a little bit. I don't really own my own business. I, uh, I, I'm an employee, so I, I work for, uh, like I said, a small internet company. But with, right when COVID started, my wife and I decided to start you know, she started at first and I kind of tagged on afterwards. Uh, I was at home. I was working at home. We just had more time together. And uh, mm-hmm. we kind of decided to start selling some crafts online. And man, it just took off. Uh, my wife sold over, I don't know, 300 pieces or something like that. Uh, she wow. uses her. Yeah. And then I started doing uh, uh, glass engraving. I had a little air compressor, bought some pieces. It's just slapping it together. But uh, we haven't fully decided if we're going to start shipping stuff. Silva's Custom Crafts on Facebook. Uh, you can take a look at what we do. She makes some pretty cool tiles, uh, and I'm starting to play around with some uh, some glass engraving. So that has allowed us through COVID to augment our income for fun stuff. So, and it seems like to me like a lot of that stuff has started during COVID because we had that time, we had that ability to just say, "Hey, I'm going to start a podcast, or I'm going to start doing crafts, or, I'm going to start doing this." And just being able to take something that's so negative in the world and turning it into a positive to help shift your thoughts or what's going on to just give that little bit of a glimmer of light. So yeah, we'll definitely have a link to that for the Facebook page if you guys are interested. Check them out. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, we've used it. It's been uh, 
it's been great for our, our relationship too. So Marcus, to wrap this all up today, while we're saying goodbye to our fearless family, do you have a call to action for our listeners today? And if you do, what is it? And then in your own words, what does it mean for you to be a fearless father? Call to action. Yeah, this is another call to action. It's, it's got to probably pull back to mental health. Take a mental health evaluation, you know, a self-check. A lot of mental health issues uh, come out in different ways. I would have never thought anxiety manifested in, in anger. I just thought I was angry or just yelled too much or whatever. But uh, take, a, you know, take a self-check. If you don't know what to do, Google it. You'll come up with a million things to do. Don't get overwhelmed. You know, get, get your mind right. And it will open up all, all sorts of other things for you. So there you go, guys. Even if, even if you have anxiety, take three things, manifest them on paper, write down the three things that make you anxious, and then write down three things that are going to counteract that. Take that mental health and start making that small shift a little bit at a time. And in your own words, Marcus, what does it mean for you to be a fearless father? Raising kids, raising humans to do the right thing. You know, the kids don't have to be perfect, uh, just to do the right thing and be kind to others. Uh, it, it sounds mushy and, and again, cliche, but uh, just trying to build them, put them in scenarios where they're going to make mistakes and, and learn, learn how to be a good person, whatever that means to you and your family and your background. But that, that's our job is to have them keep going when we can't. So there you go, guys. I want to thank Marcus. I want to thank you again for being on the show today. You dropped a ton of great stuff for our listeners. Thank you again for being on here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys, our fearless family, for checking out today's episode of the Fearless Fathers Podcast. I hope something resonated with you in this episode. Take notes. I took them. We're learning. We're getting better every single day as we go along. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome to the family. We're glad you're along on this ride. If you've been a continued listener from the beginning or from whenever, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to support. And if you want to support us any way you can, you could check out our Patreon page. Link for all that is in our link tree that we'll have in the description. You could check out Marcus and his wife's little craft thing that they're doing on Facebook. We'll have a link for that as well. And then we're going to have a new store coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We're working on some new things, Ryan and I. As of right now, our Teespring is still active. You could still buy some of our stuff in there, buy our mugs. We want to thank you again. Thank Marcus for coming. Just because your kids learn and grow every single day, guys, doesn't mean you can't do the same. We're all in this life learning as we're growing, we're getting stronger, and we're getting fearless every single day. And together, we're going to embrace the fear. 